I saw on the pages of uh, Empire Movie Magazine. I was flicking through that one day and I saw that there had been a re-release of the movie Fitzcarraldo by Werner Herzog. This is a movie from 1982 about a rubber baron called uh, Brian Fitzgerald who for lots of complicated and reasons in the movie wants to build an opera house in the jungle. He needs to get a ship from one tributary of the Amazon River to the, to the to another tributary of the Amazon River. And the way he did it uh, in the story is to haul a steam boat over a mountain and he gets a lot of the natives so-called to uh, to help him do this and to achieve this dream to raise this money. He needs to get it to the special tributary of the river where they can access the stuff that they need to make the rubber. The image that was in this movie magazine is a kind of an iconic image of a boat which is at a 45 degree angle and it's going up a mountain. And the first thing I thought when I saw that, and before now even ever having seen the movie or having read the synopsis or knowing anything about it or even anything about Werner Herzog, was this would be an amazing subject for an opera. Then I started to read about it and I was like, well, it's, it's about, uh, you know, an opera house in the in the jungle. In a way, Fitzcarraldo, the movie, is at the centre of a kind of constellation of investigations and interests that to- surround this whole idea. And at the middle is this movie Fitzcarraldo, but in, in some ways it's the least important part of that constellation for me. Around it, I found that Werner Herzog, the director, wrote diaries. The diaries were released as a book called Conquest of the Useless. In those diaries, he describes the process of making the movie. And they were all stranded in the depths of the Amazon rainforest for upwards of three years. And everything that could go wrong did go wrong. There were mutinies, lives were lost, and money was lost, the sh- they couldn't get the ship over the mountain. But the main point was, in making the movie, Herzog had this vision that instead of doing this crazy act of getting a boat to go over a mountain, a ship in a studio effects department in a swimming pool or something with models, he wanted to do it for real. He says in the diaries that it wasn't really to, for the effect of realness in inverted commas, but instead he calls it for the stylization associated with grand opera. started for me with the piece Caruso, which is actually the second part in this trilogy of pieces. I wrote Caruso first, and Caruso is a kind of 25-minute-ish fantasy on this famous, famous voice of Enrico Caruso from the turn of the last century. Now, Caruso, in the movie Fitzcarraldo, is 
the source of the obsession of the main character, Fitzgerald, or, uh, Fitzgerald. And there's a famous in the movie where he's sailing down the Amazon River and he's pointing a gramophone into the jungle, trying to soothe these, uh, these natives somehow with the sound of this sophisticated uh, European beautiful voice from heaven tenor. And I'd had an idea that wouldn't it be amazing to somehow capture the power of a voice like that in full flight. And I went through and I found every available recording that there is of Caruso, which are many. And I cut out every time when Caruso holds a high note, the peak power points of every aria or whatever he's singing and I cut them all out and I froze them so that they were unaccompanied notes and what I wanted to do was to stretch them and to freeze this moment of the pinnacle power of when a tenor is delivering his big aria and stretch it and that becomes the source of the piece Caruso which is actually a four channel electronic piece where the, there's a choir of four Carusos where I've made all of the notes are from these samples of Caruso himself singing which have been stretched and so I make a kind of surround choir of Caruso's which in the middle of all of this is a representation of the protagonist who is uh, played by the electric guitar which in this performance in Dublin will be me. The first piece is called the prologue and it really was inspired by the text which is actually the very first entry in these uh, diaries that Herzog talks about uh, in the making of the movie when he talks about his vision of getting the boat over the mountain. What I wanted to do was to write an opera overture which had literally as if you could imagine it being dropped in from a height just and plunked down into the middle of a jungle. So actually, what you literally hear is the overture to Verdi's Rigoletto, which is kind of chopped up and overgrown by uh, lianas and branches and little frogs tweeting and birds in the background. And so actually, it, that is literally what it's the chords from Verdi's Rigoletto with this kind of buried in the undergrowth of a jungle. And rising out of that is a glissando which starts in the lowest note of the orchestra and through the course of the prologue starts at the lowest note and tune at the lowest note in the double bass at the bottom C and climbs just in a direct line, a diagonal 45 degree line to the end of the piece to the highest note of the orchestra. part of the piece is finally an investigation or a kind of setting in a way of uh, some passages and texts from uh, from the actual diaries conquest of the useless thought a lot about what was the best way to get these across and actually I've even explored some of the subject matter of this piece in a, in a uh, music theater and a kind of opera that I did in in Germany and 
I wasn't a hundred percent satisfied with that either, and that actually that this was my original way that I thought of doing this was, which was also to have a, a mezzo soprano who was going to sing uh, certain passages of these diaries. I'd always had in my mind a kind of phrase that I'd said somewhere, which was basically that it's a bit like Mahler's Das Lied von der Erde put through a blender, if you can imagine that. So instead of where you have music as a, a godly thing, which comes down to us and is pure and is a kind of a contact to some kind of purity, for Herzog in these diaries, nature is something which is disgusting and out of control and cancerous and uh, eating itself and fornicating with itself, as he says. And it's, it's a kind of disgusting thing which he observes in this tumultuous environment that he is in, 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 the, in the jungle. There's an actor also who, instead of being a straight narrator part, he's also another representation of a kind of protagonist all the way through this. He's speaking bits of the diaries and he's actually mostly preoccupied with tiny little uh, observations about this kind of natural world that he sees there. The last part of the piece is a kind of exploration of that. So all the way through the whole trilogy of pieces, there are different representations of this kind of central character. So you've got, in the movie, you've got Fitzcarraldo. In making of the movie, you've got Herzog himself, who is kind of a reflection of Fitzgeraldo too. You've got Caruso, who I think Herzog somehow sees himself as a reflection of too. You've got, in my piece then, there's the actor who's delivering some of those lines, the mezzo-soprano who is also delivering the lines, and the electric guitar. They're all part of the same split personality. And the environment that they're in, the jungle as it were, the river, is the orchestra. The, this split personality protagonist is very conflicted. He's a European who is really taking on the robes of those conquistadors from the earlier days going to South America, has a questionable relationship with the indigenous population and how they're employed to uh, fulfill this very seemingly macho task that he has. So there are a lot of deeply unsavory or unattractive qualities about this protagonist too. But at the same time, he has got masses of charisma and he's a leader and people follow him and he has a vision. And in a way, there's a kind of conflict about his wanting to be in control of this uh, environment, but whether he succeeds or not is not entirely clear either. There's something very tactile about this music as well, and that's typical also of my music in general. I want the audience to experience this feeling in an almost tactile kind of, kind of way, and it's unusual actually, maybe unique for me in terms of my music, to be inspired by a text that has never really happened to me before, and maybe this was more of an idea, but where a text is really a central part of it. But it was because of this very tactile, this kind of minutiae 
that he's in this, you know, the Amazon rainforest, the most grandiose thing you could almost imagine in nature. And he's sitting there looking for a whole entry for pages of a, a, a fly going up the side of a, a beer glass, for instance. So there's this suggestion that uh, things on a microscopic level, which are then exploded kind of almost grotesquely on a big scale. So that's something that's also central to what I try to do in music too, which is to um, to really give a feeling which is almost physical and, and tactile for a, a listener about what it's like to play that music or what it's like to be inside that music or what it's like to be the protagonist in that musical setting. the stylization of the concert hall I realized was a more effective way for me to explore the tropes of romanticism than it was through the medium of opera. Now as I say I did make a, a music theatre piece which explored these texts actually as well and this concept but uh, with a few more <laughs> tangents on the side. In a way it was it became a side project to this way of doing it. So this trilogy is really my was my primary way of wanting to explore this subject matter. There's a kind of rigidity to the concert hall experience where we have a set of expectations about where the walls are and where the boundaries are. So there's a, there's masses of, of baggage and information that we take in with us when we sit down and we listen to something in the concert hall. And what I wanted in a way with this piece was to use all of those expectations and uh, traditions so... You know, the mezzo-soprano occupies a very traditional... Uh, it's a mezzo-soprano singing with the orchestra in a romantic, uh, traditional sense. But the subject matter turns it upside down. And then also the narrator part, except that without giving too much away, the narrator, in inverted commas in this piece, the actor, is using the orchestra as a set he climbs through the orchestra. He actually starts off the piece up in the choir balcony and he kind of descends by a ladder <laughs> into the orchestra. He crawls around. He's on his hands and knees at the front of the orchestra and he actually ends up somewhere completely different in the concert hall. And the orchestra and this concert hall setting becomes the set of this uh, kind of experience for for the evening. So in a way... Uh, for me, it was interesting as a musician to also play with these kind of quite rigid boundaries that there are in the concert hall experience. For me, it's a lot to do with what is the best tools for the job. Sometimes the best tools to express an idea are a full orchestra with a mezzo-soprano, an actor, surround sound electronics, an electric guitar. Sometimes... The best way to express an idea is for a violinist who's standing in the middle of a forest where you have to walk for 15 minutes and you find them and then they play the piece and then you walk off again. Both of which are things that I've done. For me, the idea comes first. A lot of my time is spent thinking about what's the best way to express the idea and what is the best medium to express the idea. 
So for an idea as basically overblown as this and so rooted in a kind of romanticism that this kind of romantic palette, you know, it had to have massive forces. And for me, there's no, it's a no-brainer. It has to be a, a, a symphony orchestra, not only because of the huge palette that you've got, but also that all of those colours that it offers have a certain degree of baggage that come with them. I find it the orchestra a difficult medium to approach as a blank slate unless I do something to uh, to really subvert it so which is what I've done in the past and I find that once you subvert one element of the orchestra the whole tree topples down and then you're able to approach it in a fresh way just as a group of 70 musicians and you know what's not to love about having 70 people all come together to try and play your music because there's something that you do to make it not orchestra with a capital o anymore to make it suddenly like a fresh large ensemble in this piece ironically the orchestra is is laid out in its absolute splendor of its romantic best you know the orchestra is there being an orchestra with a capital O.